1: Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed-indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com.
2: This is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on Apple Podcasts. Dumpty
3: Dumpty 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 dum Dum Dum
4: Dum 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 Hello, this is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings on in Ambridge. I am Jacqueline Bertho, who, like Hilary Noakes, is a funny turn.
5: And I'm Stephen Bowden, who's exploding like a silent firework.
4: And then there's you, our lovely Dumpty Dummers, who are going to be massive by Christmas. We're not calling you turkeys, by the way. Welcome to Dumpty Dum, a show about our favourite country village. This week's episodes of The Archers were written by Daniel Thurman, and Tuesday's episode in particular was brilliant. This week we have calls from... Charlie, who wants to talk about Helen. Jen, who has views on Sadie's treatment.
5: Stephanie, a first-time caller in hooray who was in shock after hearing Adam this week.
4: Pip, who loved Linda's conversation with the other Pip
5: about Robert. Christine, Gadget Gurley, who was moved by Tuesday's episode. Globetrotting
4: Richard, who has further thoughts about Grey Gables. Glynn, who has a lot to say about Helen. Christine, again, with a quick extra thought, which was brilliant.
5: And finally, Witherspoon, who wants to talk about trauma.
4: Plus, we have The Week in Ambridge by Suey. A roundup of the Dumpty Dum Facebook group by me and the three Twitter gongs, Bronze, Silver, and Gold from Theo. But before Stephen and I start chatting up too much, let's remind ourselves of what's happened this week with a roundup of the week in Ambridge from our Sui. Hello,
6: lovely people. It's Sui, Queen Autar, on the Twitters. And as of this week, Queen Autar on Blue Sky. It's now time for a quick reminder of the week in Ambridge. According to the BBC, we were in for an intense and gripping week of events unfolding in Ambridge. There was definitely trouble at Mill, or the stables at least. There was an impromptu firework display which completely spooked the horses after Alison and Lillian churned them out into the fields, which seemed to be a very odd decision to me. Jacob went to the rescue of Sadie, who had become impaled on a bit of fence. She seemed to be back out into the stables remarkably quickly, but I will defer to those with more veterinary knowledge than me reading Jones' Joan Carner in the 1970s. Helen, oh, deary me, Helen. She had a strop about going for a hike. She had a strop about going bowling. Then she took Lee and booted him out to stay with one of his colleagues in Borchester. I can see how she'd be very unsettled by having Lee make decisions about what they were doing over the weekend. I noted she rejected Ian cooking her lunch, so she's clearly wrangling control back in the only way she knows. Mia and Alice had a petition to stop bomb for a night, which was never going to be a winner. I mean, you know, Kenshin's going to make some money for the ball, somehow. Mia took snaps at both Will, who wanted to know why she was skipping school, touched the Greta Thunbergs there. I am not convinced snaps are at all environmentally friendly. She made a serious it- faux pas, chucking them at Hillary Noakes. He threw a proper wobbly and threatened to involve the police. The Ambridge fairy and Lillian got the display changed to be silent fireworks at this short notice and to put Mia on the organising committee as the voice of youth. Ian got all shy over holding hands with Adam, whereas Pip and Stella seemed to be snorkeling their way around the village. Ardil did not have a family in emergency, and this was confirmed by his sister, Azra. He seems to be having some sort of PTSD episode over his dead wife or fiancée, we are not quite sure which. Lindy Bottom told him to keep a stiff off a nip, fess up and be prepared for tough times ahead. I am not sure I share her optimism. I wonder what Friday night will hold. I can't do it this week, so you'll have to make do with this. All in all, a very odd week. I think yeah, we can go with the description from the BBC. Intense and gripping. Until next week then, my lovelies.
4: Bye-bye. Thanks for that, Suey. Uh, so, Stephen, what have you been up to this week?
5: Well, what was supposed to be the high point of the week was last night going to see Gloucester play rugby. Gloucester unbeaten in all competitions this season. That's the first seven matches in Premiership and Premiership Cup. And they got absolutely hammered by a Saracens team that hadn't been doing well at all.
4: Oh, no. Uh,
5: but never mind. I, and, and as it was, the Saracens team, half of them were in France playing against for yes. England against Argentina. So it was all um, a bit of a sad end to, to the week, which has otherwise been fairly quiet and uneventful. How oh about you? Oh, dear.
4: Uh, onwards and upwards for your team then, and you. Micha, as soon as we'd finished recording last week, Mr. B came in and said, what have you got on Monday, Tuesday? And I said, oh, normal stuff, you know, got a busy week planned, but oh, well, I've got to go to Cologne. And I said, all right, fine. Where can you get a flight from Cologne? No, 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 we'll drive. No, that means I'll drive. So we went off on a road trip very early Sunday morning, went to a liquidation sale for diggers. My knowledge of diggers has increased fivefold, I think, in the last two weeks. So there we go. So I'm now an expert on diggers, not drills, but diggers. Did (laughs) you buy a digger? We did.
5: And did you drive it back?
4: No. Yeah, towed it behind my Renault (laughs) Spas. No, this is a 38 or 39 ton digger. (laughs) No, it's, it's been transported and it will arrive this week. And being European country to European country, no Dewans charges, etc. So there you go. Very not positive. even any paperwork. A little paperwork, but not much. <laughs> so that's enough about us and our week, I think. Let's get on to the important bit, which is you lot, our lovely caller in Rose.
7: Hello, Pusscat. <laughs>
2: First up, following our new sound effect, is Charlie. Hi, it's uh, Charlie here, just with a few little thoughts on Helen. Now, we all know she had a hell of a time with Rob, and it's understandable she's feeling threatened by the return of Rob. and there's a certain amount of distrust that she obviously feels in relationships, which actually brings us to Lee. Now, the poor soldier, he's best to be supportive. He's looking after the boys. He's trying to be understanding and helpful, but it's like he's breaking a load of rules Helen hasn't told him about. And she also seems to be taking out all her frustration on the situation on him. If she isn't very careful, he will run off to San Francisco to be with his girls, which is something she didn't want. She was very clear that she didn't want Lee to be with his girls. And this is even before we start to talk about the cheese. The whole situation at Grey Gables is falling down around Oliver and Ian's ears. And all Helen can actually do is berate them with, oh, well, what about my cheese order? Long, long-term long listeners will, of course, remember that during, Helen, during one of Helen's plants with anorexia, she got named the Thin Controller. And I think we're beginning to see the return of that side of Helen's character. I'd like to say that and hope she's going to pull herself together. And in fact, I do. But I really don't see it happening. Oh, and Pip, dear, get over yourself.
4: Thank you for that, Charlie. Great call, Luna. Yeah, Lee and Helen. It's a bit of the subject of the week in many ways, and I know Charlie isn't the only caller in her to talk about it. I think the thin control is exactly a brilliant description of Helen. She's taking control, refusing to have lunch with Ian, as it were, and she was supposed to be getting therapy uh, a few weeks ago, but we didn't. We haven't heard any more about that. But the whole. Lee and Helen, traumatic story from that Sunday evening at the bowling alley has been, frankly, it's had me waiting for the next episode to see what happens next. And, of course, the contrast between them and Adam and Ian and Pip and Stella. Yeah, Pip, get over yourself. It's just been, for me, it's been a brilliant, absolutely brilliant week.
5: Yes. Charlie called in right at the start of the week. Yeah. So, obviously, before Helen decided that she would have to break up with... Lee, And we've got a couple of other calls looking at that particular relationship and what's going on there. But absolutely, I think that Helen isn't really dealing with this as a relationship. She seems to see everything from her own angle. I think it's telling. If you remember back, it's now pretty much 13 years ago, a little bit more than that, when she decided that she would have a child by artificial insemination. And the logic she gave for having the child is she wanted somebody who would love her And that's how she seems to treat people. It's not that she loves any of them. She may do, but that's not what she focuses. on. what she focuses on is everything in relation to her. And Mm -hmm. some of the phrases that she used with Lee and with other people about Lee were quite chilling in terms of the incredibly transactional, Helen-focused approach that she had to what the relationship meant. It was all about seeing it from her angle. She just did not see the relationship as being between two equals. Hmm. Somebody on either Twitter or Facebook described Helen as treating other people like non-player characters in a game. And I thought that was an absolutely brilliant thing. In fact, it was somebody on Blue Sky who said that. Ah. So discussion on Blue Sky is getting better and better.
4: Yes, it's definitely increasing on Blue Sky. Yeah, Helen, this week, it was all the classics really, wasn't it, from her? I don't believe, I'm not questioning her love for her children. but I don't believe she ever seems to want to spend any time with them. She's always palming them off. has taken on the bulk of the childcare and we only ever hear of him playing with Henry on the PlayStation or Xbox or whatever it is. I just don't feel she interacts. Of course, we can't hear Jack at the moment, but very interesting. Oh, well, I'm sure we'll have more to say about this later.
5: We're going to change subjects completely for our next call which is a call from an expert on a subject that came up this week. And this call is from Ambridge Pony Club, our Jen.
1: Greetings, everyone in Dumb Deal, and Jen here calling in from the perspective of an equine veterinarian and actually equine boarded surgeon on the goings-on in Ambridge this week. Steak injuries, horse versus fence, are very common. Um, horses are flight animals. Anything that frightens them, they do tend to react by either going through fences or into trees or fences, things like this doesn't just happen at Halloween, it's a pretty common injury and generally they're fantastic from a veterinary point of view because you turn up, the most common sight is the horse hits the object with its chest, there's a huge flap of skin, there's blood everywhere, everyone's really freaked out and to be honest, pretty much whatever you do, that will heal nicely. Horses have two different kinds of skin, the skin of their head and the body heals incredibly well, the skin of their legs heals terribly. That's down to the fibroblast cells which behave differently in the two locations. So there you go. However, unusually, Yakult was quite concerned about an abdominal penetration. Now, that is not common. They either occur on the chest or sometimes if the animal tries to jump the fence, it'll happen down the inside of its back leg and up into the groin. Those ones can penetrate the abdomen. The other thing that concerned me is the horse was down. That's a really bad sign. Generally, horses will do anything rather than collapse. They are flight animals. They want to stay on their feet. They will, even with broken legs, fight through that and stay up. So a down horse is a big red flag. But Yakult didn't seem overly bothered. Down horses are also very, very dangerous. And that was the thing that had Mr Pony Club, who's also an equine specialist, leaping about a bit, was when he casually said to Alice, oh, I'll just go now. You get the horse up and I'll see you in the surgery. Getting that horse up would have probably been the most critical part of that procedure. It would certainly want a lot of help. Yakult would have supervised every step of it. I'm really surprised people weren't running for Paul or one of the other veterinary nurses. given that Paul lives there and the other nurses are on site. So yeah, that that didn't ring true. And then the length of the operation. Now, we weren't really told where this wound was or what's going on. So perhaps things weren't as bad as Yakult suspected. But he did a three-hour operation. Now, again, we weren't told, did he give the... I think he did say to Alice that he'd be giving a general anaesthetic. General anaesthetic in horses is dangerous, more dangerous for them than any other species. They are massive animals. They don't cope with being under general anaesthetic well. You need a specialist anaesthetist. You need specialist equipment. And you have to be fast. If you're not out of there in an hour, the anaesthetists are getting ratty. If you're not out of there in two hours, they're starting to sweat. And if you're not out there in three hours, everyone's wondering if that horse is going to be physically able to get back up again. Now, all of that, the three-hour operation suggests this was an abdominal penetration or something really bad. And yet the next day, the thing is back under Alice's care, being given a few oral powders, and we're talking about seromas. Now, seroma can only happen if you've completely closed a wound. So there's two things with that. One, was this thing really that bad and what was he doing for three hours? And then the other thing is, this was a nasty contaminated wound. You had dirty wood going into the body. You always leave those open. You wouldn't be worrying about seromas for weeks yet. Just a couple of subtle things there. So the whole thing was clearly a setup to get Alice and Mia into trouble. But anyway, nice to have some veterinary action.
5: Thank you for that call, Jem. And obviously, I can't say anything at all about the details of the veterinary procedures. But the thing that struck me in, in what you said in, in the circumstances was the point about Paul living at the stables while Schuler is away. And there was no suggestion that he might be called. Now, I know they can't always have all the actors playing all the parts on each episode, but Paul could have been referred to. He could have been there in the background. The idea that he would wake up the next morning and discover what had happened, and that nobody had called him, strikes me as unbelievable. So purely from a character point of view, that just didn't make any sense to me at all. And I certainly got the impression that there was a conflict between the seriousness of the wound on the one hand, Jen pointed out, the three hours under general anaesthetic, the fact that the horse is down, and then the apparently fairly rapid recovery to a stage where Alice could just keep an eye on the horse and didn't need regular checkups or anything more than Alice might routinely do. So the whole thing just didn't quite work. And, and it was too serious and then suddenly over too quickly.
4: Yeah, like you, I don't have any expertise whatsoever in horses. But what I can say is I know that Jen is an absolute thoroughbred specialist. And having had the joy of visiting her and meeting Mr. Ambridge Pony Club at the National Stud in Ireland in Kildare this summer, what an environment to work in. She's definitely the one to fill in all the gaps for these in these storylines. Thanks, Jen.
5: Thank you, Jen. And that was why we allowed her a slightly longer call than we would normally go for because of all that detail that was vital. Next up, we have a first time caller in a hooray. And it's Stephanie.
1: Hello, Dumpty dum it's Stephanie
6: Butland here, first time caller in Just still in a little bit of shock after listening to Tuesday's episode, in which, first time and 30 years of listening, I, I really liked Adam. I liked the way he spoke to Ian. Yeah, it's,
8: I don't know, it's
6: feeling a bit strange and traumatic. And I bet I'm not the only one. So, you know, thoughts and prayers, everybody. And yeah, I'm just really glad that they gave us a bit of Helen afterwards, her sanctimonious, awful <laughs> best. Worst to just make me realise that I had not slipped into a parallel universe. Let's hope Adam is back on his usual form before too long.
4: Bye. Brilliant. Thank you. You're very welcome, Stephanie. First time caller us. We love all our caller but it's always very nice to hear from somebody new. Yes, I liked Adam this week. I'm not. I'm not really anti Adam. I just find him a bit wooden in the way he reacts with people, but. I thought he was brilliant with Ian and Ian managing to talk about the trauma of his early life before he even came out. I think we have something on that from Witherspoon a bit later on. But yes, it was a great contrast with that sanctimonious cow, Helen.
5: Yes, I've, that relationship, the Adam and Ian relationship, a lot of the time you just don't really know quite what's holding it together. They don't seem that natural Together, and then we had Adam almost demanding, having seen Stella and Pip going around holding hands, almost demanding that of Ian uh, as if that was something that gay people have to do, and Ian was able to explain why it's so difficult for him, and he' got a real sense in his discussion of, of growing up. the point he made about the shame he felt and how he felt ashamed by other gay people in Northern Ireland because the social pressure on him. And he would have grown up in the Protestant side of the divide in in Northern Ireland. And the whole pressure on him was just so strong. And it ended up making him ashamed of himself. And and that's just not something that anybody should ever be. We ought to be able to bring our whole selves to all aspects of our lives. And Ian, I think, can now do that, but Mm. finds it a real struggle to do so in public.
4: Yeah, and I think actually it would have taken a great deal of effort. You could actually hear his struggle in his voice, and so it's a brilliant, a brilliantly acted by the actor who I have no idea what his name is. I'm terrible. You'll be able to tell me, I'm sure. But yeah, I felt that this trauma that he went through came out, and maybe now he's actually admitted it to Adam, and Adam has ac- listened for once and accepted him. Yeah, I think it'll be it'll be a way forward for Adam and Ian, maybe.
5: Yes. And the ad- actor who plays Ian is Stephen Kennedy.
4: Of course it is. I did know, really.
5: Next up, we have somebody who isn't a first time caller in a row, but we haven't heard from them for a long time. So it's good to hear them back again. And it is Pip.
8: Hello, Stephen and Jacqueline, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Pip from Thornton Heath here. Been a little while since I called in. It's been very busy. I got married the same week as Tracy and Jazza. So that was fun. On for the memory box. I just wanted to call it on a rather romantic note. note. I just wanted to say how lovely it was to hear Linda talking about Robert in the way that she did. That lovely scene between her and Pip. It was just nice to have that little monologue about how they met. For a listener who's only been listening for like the past 15 years, and obviously they're beginning of their relationship started much before then. It was lovely to hear how they did meet and how their relationship is. And also just not being in a rush. Uh, It it wasn't fast dialogue. It wasn't a lot of interruption from Pip. It was just lovely to hear Linda just speak about how wonderful their relationship is and how they are. And uh, I thought it was very sweet. And uh, I think that is quite clearly paving the way now for... Between now and Christmas, sadly, we will lose Robert. And we all know it was coming at some point, but how to shoehorn that in, in a gentle way. And I hope it's done in a loving and very sweet way, but I imagine this will probably land just before Christmas. But uh, yeah, otherwise, Helen's horrible. And uh, I think we're all not really a fan of her. And uh, poor Lee, what on earth is he going to do? I really hope everyone kind of just steps in and says, Helen, you're being an idiot. But uh, we will see. All right,
1: big love to everybody. ta
5: Thank you for that call, Pip. And congratulations on getting married. A lot of us, I think, did feel that that conversation that Linda had with the other Pip about Robert was a foreshadowing of Robert's death because we know that Graham Blockley, who played Robert, has died last year and Robert has been silent for a long time. Linda's, I think, not actually in the programme for the next three or four weeks. I think if it does happen, and I agree with you it will, it will be a lot closer to Christmas. And I hope that it isn't something that totally ruins Christmas for Linda and for Ambridge. But I fear that in order to give Graham a proper send-off, they might well make quite a big issue out of it. At least it's not going to clash with the black tie ball at Grey Gables, because that's been cancelled. Unless, of course, it's rescheduled for nearer to Christmas with the opening delayed. And then we end up with a tragedy striking just before Christmas. I don't think that it's Robert and Linda are quite characters from melodrama. But yeah, I'm really glad that they're making a big thing about Robert because of Graham. But
4: Yeah. One one of the things I agree with Pip about, I agree with most of what she said, was the fact that the discussion between Linda and uh, the other Pip was a beautiful, slow, time was taken and in such a contrast to the frenetic conversations that were going on between the Helen and Lee. Yeah, poor Lee, horrible Helen. Can't agree with you more, uh, Pip. And yes, many, many congratulations on this big life step you've taken recently.
5: Next up, we have Christine, otherwise known as Gadget Girlie.
9: Good morning to all Dumpty Dummers. Gadget Girlie here. Gosh, I've just listened to Tuesday's episode and what an emotional roller coaster! I have never felt so much empathy for Ian as I did this morning. And poor, poor Lee. What a contrast to Ian and Lee's partners. Adam being so understanding and Helen being the one to cause Lee's pain. And to suggest that he just up sticks and go halfway across the world, even to be with his girls. I think Helen's reaction to Lee saying that this was due to Rob's return says it all. She's tried to ignore the trauma Rob has brought back into her life and transferred all that onto her relationship with Lee. I do hope she finds the help she so desperately needs, but I fear it will be too late for her and Lee. And what about Jack and Henry? How will they react to Lee leaving? And to end on a positive note, I look forward to Adam and Ian being more affectionate in public.
4: Bye. Oh, thanks for that, Christine. Yeah, Tuesday's episode. I can honestly say I felt that it was one of the best impact episodes we've had in absolutely yonks. There was everything in it. Yeah, so us to the writer, who we mentioned at the beginning of the week. And as I said last week, Jack and Henry are who I'm worrying about because they've had Lee as a significant male figure in their lives. They're left in a void. And as the week went on, we saw that Henry was absolutely furious with Helen. And Lee tried to help Helen and Henry out with their relationship by saying it's a joint thing, people decide. That's so good of Lee. It was a brilliant thing that he did. He shouldn't have done it because Helen's an absolute, Ugh. can't say the words, can't say enough words. But yeah, yeah. thanks very much for saying all that, Christine. I agree with you.
5: We have praised Tuesday's episode, and rightly so, it was a brilliant piece of writing. But I think that we shouldn't ignore how good Sunday was, and Sunday isn't always the best of our yes, but the scene at the bowling, which was absolutely excruciating to listen to, but it was written so well, it was performed so well by all four of the actors there. It was just a fantastic evocation. And the the sound of the bowling alley yeah. and so forth was in balance and so on. It, it just felt like a really... It was one of those things that you felt if you'd been there, you would have come away cringing internally. You'd have had that conversation that Ian and Adam had about it. But even, you know, probably they, that wasn't the first time they talked about it. They, no, the, exactly. the way that they, they must have felt coming out of that. And the way that Lee must have felt, just not understanding where all this was coming from, because it was not coming from anything to do with him. It was all coming from Helen being completely unreasonable, moaning about going for a walk, but then saying that she couldn't have got out of it. Well, she's got to choose one one or the other. If you sign up to do something with your partner, with your kids, either you do it and you do it wholeheartedly, or you don't do it at all. There is no excuse for doing it and then moaning about it afterwards. And and so Paul Lee is just hit by this completely unfair, unreasonable, irrational tirade that he has done nothing to deserve that wasn't anything to do with what he's done. And and so it was pitch perfect on Sunday. And then it was absolutely brilliant on Tuesday. Yeah, you're
4: right. Yeah, you're right. In fact, Tuesday, the episode on Tuesday kind of took over my brain and I'd forgotten Exactly. And despite having listened twice this week to all the episodes, I'd forgotten, yeah, it was. And I kept imagining the people in the lane next door, what they must have, because this wasn't done in It was definitely done at screaming pitch, as it were, highly irritated. I'd have loved to have been in the next lane to hear that. And as you said, the discussion between Ian and Adam was completely natural afterwards. And Lee's reaction and the state of shock, he didn't know what had hit him. So, there you go. Brilliantly acted, brilliantly written. So, those are our first five calls. But there are more where they came from, and you'll hear those very soon. Now, if you'd like to become a caller in a like Charlie, Jen, and the others, you would be more than welcome. There are three ways you can get involved.
5: The first option is to record a message or a plot prediction by going to www.speakpipe.com slash And don't forget, that's a T in the middle. The next option is to send us a voice note or message via WhatsApp on 07810 012 And if you're calling from outside the UK, of course, you remove that leading zero and you add a 4-4 preceded by whatever your national calling system requires. And finally, you can email us. We have an email address you can contact us on if you'd rather write to us with your views with a maximum of 250 words, please. The email address is dumptdum at mail.com. And do bear in mind you need to be at least 18 to take part and contribute.
4: Now, don't, you, need to, you don't need to worry about writing all that down, as there are links of those three ways of contributing in the show notes for this episode. Let's get back to our calls.
7: And next up is globe-trotting Richard. Richard here, whose mind's been in Sydney. I called Lee hopeless last week. I didn't mean it. I meant to say hapless. Poor Lee. Let's feel sorry for him. To get to the States, he'd want an H-1B visa. He'd need to have a local employer to sponsor him, file a labour condition application. It's not straightforward. On the other hand, as... Alfredo said to Toto in Cinema Paradiso, the theme musical which I'm playing, flee, run away, don't think of us, never come back. That's enough about Lee. I wish him well, and I don't have anything positive to say about Helen. I do wonder about the Grey Gables deal, as was pointed out last week. It's a mystery to me who the investor was, but can't be to the locals. There must be boards up outside the construction site, et cetera, et cetera. So we don't know, but if it was anyone local, I think we would know by now. So it must be someone external. They've had to stump up, I think 625,000 pounds for Oliver's 250 to be 40%. Sorry, the total is 625,000. So the other investor would have to be five thousand pounds. The reason it's tricky to understand the deal is that Oliver was losing money. I think he needed that deal to stay in business. And the enterprise value of an enterprise that is losing money is tricky. Apparently, according to Google or BARD, it's worth between five and 10 million pounds, swimming pool, spa, golf course, maybe a hundred rooms. But what's it worth if it's losing money? I suppose that perhaps Ardell was talking fast and loose when he said to Oliver, you're going to make a great deal of money. Maybe in Ardle's unbusiness-like brain, only 40% of a bigger enterprise with three million quid on the balance sheet was worth more. But I'm not convinced it's hard to sell a business that's losing money.
5: bye thank you for that call, Richard and yes, I, I agree with your analysis of Greg Gables. It's very difficult to work out what it's actually worth. We haven't had any numbers thrown around, but if they want to put in as you suggest six hundred and twenty five thousand pounds more, that's either throwing good money after bad or it's just demonstrating the scale of the ambition that the owners had or possibly the ambition that Ardiel had, despite whatever the owners might have wanted. Because we ended up with Ardiel coming back at the end of the week and talking to Oliver. And I couldn't see anything in that that made me think that, that he had changed at all. He sounded like an insincere politician with his promises and his commitments and so forth. He didn't explain to Oliver anything about what had actually happened. We know that it wasn't a family emergency. We know it was some sort of breakdown his sister explained that he has this habit of throwing himself into stuff and gradually getting out of control and running away if he's got a track record of that what on earth was he doing being appointed to by the mysterious to us owners to be their representative it's clear that all the problems of the kitchen for instance and i think similar problems with the spa and everything else were due to him being too ambitious having crazy wild ideas and not tackling the reality of them so, the whole thing has spun out of control. They're going to have to spend a lot of money, and probably most of that money will be spent in effectively pulling their horns in and taking out a lot of the craziness that Ardil appears to have injected. But the whole thing just seems so odd, so unbelievable. And Oliver is letting Ardil back on a tighter leash. But surely yeah. it's the majority owners who should have had the say, the say in that. And are they willing to have him back?
4: Yeah, I was thinking that this was the point when we should have heard from the majority owners, not just from Oliver. Kind of lost interest in the development of Grey Gables. I know it's a terrible thing to say because it just, it's all got too complicated and all too, it was all so ridiculous that it was Ardeal who was overseeing the builders, the kitchen, the design, the recruitment. and it, it was too much. It was giving us the impression that it was a man who was going to be Pulled every which way. So he's had a breakdown, but that wasn't, as you said, that wasn't explained to Oliver that she had a breakdown. As far as Oliver was concerned, he just disappeared. No, no, so I'm hoping that the Grey Gables development story becomes a bit more organised for my liking and a bit more. Interesting personalities are interesting, but the actual development is uh, it's, I've got over it now it's not gone on too long. One of the things I wanted to say though, Richard was I love cinema paradiso, and this week I've had a very traumatic, stressful work week because I'm taking apart someone's beautiful wedding dress to make a baptism gown for their daughter, and that is a very tense thing, so I've had cinema paradiso playing in the background quite a lot.
5: Just going back to Grey Gables. Grey Gables is important because it was one of the places where characters used to meet and to talk, particularly around reception. And at the moment, there's a lot going on in all of those places. One of them is is Grey Gables. Another one is the tea room. And we haven't heard anything about the future of the tea room for quite a while. So that's got to come back. And of course, another one I think is going to be the EV charging station because that will become a place... It's so near the village that it will be a place where villagers go, even if they're not charging electric vehicles. There will be, I'm sure, some of them working there. We all think that Fallon might end up running the cafe there. There's always this possibility that they'll open a salon there and Chelsea will have a mm-hmm. job there. And so you'll have this these places where people can meet. But at the moment, the only one that we're hearing much about is the bull.
4: And that's recent though, Stephen, because we've had a great gap for a long time where we haven't heard from the bull. Yeah, it's just the last few weeks.
5: And the other one that we haven't heard from for a while is Lower Loxley, where, again, there are plenty of people with Chelsea working in the Orangery mm-hmm. and so forth. It's these places that bring characters together which are so important in The Archers. And at the moment, we, we're not hearing from many of them, and a lot of them are, are somewhat up in the air.
4: Yeah, and the shop as a meeting place, people meet outside the shop and on the green and at the um, by the burnt-out postbox, etc. But when they're in the shop, often it's very rare that you don't, you hear more than two characters or a character meeting someone coming in and out of the door. There's never a crowd of people in the shop. Maybe it's not big enough.
5: No, but it, it is a useful one for introducing new characters. Adele's sister appeared yes. in the shop. And we had a good that introduction when she was putting together a picnic lunch with the help yes. of Jim. Jim.
4: <laughs>
5: now we are going to hear from Glynn.
10: Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Glynn here. Thursday night has rolled around again. And this week, I think I have to talk about Helen and Lee. And this is how I see it. Helen is still effectively obsessed with Rob. And she devotes an enormous amount of time in her head dealing with that. Now, while Rob was away in America, she was able to push it to the back of her mind and make her go at living a normal life. Now he's back. He is dominating her thoughts and she is spending an awful lot of effort trying to combat that. And that simply leaves no space for Lee. She just can't relate to Lee, can't can't have any time for Lee and just sees Lee as a distraction to her main Her main objective of coping with her obsession with Rob, and she has to cope with this on her own. She has to be able to control this. And you can contrast this with what uh, Alice went through a couple of years ago, when she realized that in order to cope with her alcoholism, she was going to have to let go of her relationship with Chris which she didn't really want to do, but she knew it was a matter of survival to do it. And so she went ahead and did it. So Alice made a conscious decision to end her relationship with Chris, and she knew exactly why she was doing it. Helen has apparently made a conscious decision, but she is in complete denial of the reasons for why she is ending her relationship with Lee. Alice needed to focus her resources on conquering her addiction. I would say Helen actually needs more interaction with other people. She needs to share her problem, not continue to pretend she can solve it by herself. So yes, she's feeling relieved. She's ended her relationship, but that's sort of relief in the sense of walking away from a responsibility, and not having to think about that anymore. It's not the relief that comes from resolving a problem. So anyway, that's all my thoughts on Helen. We shall find out what happens over the next days and weeks. She's clearly going to have a difficult job with explaining it to her sons. Thank you to the hosts of the podcasts and to all in Dumpty Dumland. Please stay safe.
4: Thank you for the brilliant call, Glynn. Yes, as you say, that was up until Thursday night. Well, on Friday we saw Helen's reaction. We saw how she and Lee said goodbye. I thought it—I felt it was a very traumatic episode. It was very sad. It was very well acted. It touched the heartstrings. We saw Henry's reaction, which is what Glynn was wondering about. I really feel that one of the things that tipped Helen over the edge was Lee making unilateral decisions about what was going to happen because he organised going for a hike and the sugar high that is induced by marshmallows. And then he organised and agreed to go on the bowling without any reference to her. And I think I can see from Helen's point of view, I think I would have preferred to have a say myself as well, and I'm not that controlling. So, of Helen, who is a controlling person, that would be interesting. Now, what did you think about his, Glynn's comparison with the Alice situation?
5: I thought that was an interesting comparison to make. I think that Glynn is right. Alice looked at herself very hard. She gave herself a proper examination. Remember all the trauma that she went through? Remember when she disappeared from the village, leaving that uh, scarecrow surrounded by bottles? Uh, and we never had a. I think confirmed, but it, the general feeling was that was Alice somehow getting her self-loathing out into into that scarecrow, going away and getting herself fixed. She has undertaken a lot of um, counselling. She has joined a group and was eventually, after that, has been sticking with it. She has really looked at herself. She's understood what the things are that have caused her problems, She has taken responsibility for herself. She's done all the right things to move towards normality to the extent that an alcoholic ever can. She'll always be a recovering alcoholic. Helen has done none of those things. Mm. So she is acting entirely superficially. Now, I'm not a huge believer in, in, in therapy to the extent that it seems to be the thing in America, but I can certainly see that Alice has recognized the need for help and has taken the opportunity to get help. And Helen has not done that. So I think it's a really good comparison between the two that Glynn has landed on. And I think that the relationship between Alice and Chris is now getting warmer and strengthening, even if they're not ever going to get back together. I don't know what's going to happen with Helen and Lee. I suspect that she's going to start resenting even having Lee getting involved in yeah. in in weekends, because he's going to want to make arrangements without consulting with her. Without telling her all the details, and she's suddenly going to start reacting against that.
4: Yeah, I agree, I agree. This isn't the end of the Helen and Lee, although it'll be all off-air, the conversations, but I can see her, in a way, I can see her taking it out on Henry and Jack, because they will want to be with Lee, and they will perhaps, especially Henry, will push for more access or longer time with him. And that's going to cause an adolescent crisis in Henry and a yet more self-centred machinations from Helen.
5: Yes, he's already quite punishing Helen for what she's done in this case. And if you remember the Harry Enfield, Kevin, the teenager character who becomes a monster overnight on his 13th birthday. Well, that's the 2nd of January next year for Henry. Henry.
4: (laughs) Yes, watch this space. <laughs> They're going to have fun writing that.
5: Now, we, we heard from Christine earlier and she came back with an additional thought.
9: Hello, dumpty dummers everywhere. Christine from and phoning again for the second call of the week. I've just listened to Thursday's episode and thank goodness for Linda. That's all I want to see. Bye.
5: Yes, Linda, who took on the dreadful task of actually going all the way to Solihull to track down Ardeal and bring him back to the village. He was not being more snell, but Linda was, was being even more snell than she normally is.
4: <laughs> yes, indeed. That's exactly what I thought when I heard Christine's call. Yep, yeah, definitely be more snell.
5: We are now onto our final call, and it starts like this. You all know how this goes.
2: Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs.
0: Greetings, Jacqueline, Stephen, and all Dumpty Dumbers around the world. It's with a spoon and Angus Haggis here. This week, the Archers dealt with trauma, its immediate effects, and its long term after effects. I counted five characters so affected. First, I'll group the horses and their immediate trauma reaction to the fireworks. Poor Sadie. I'm glad she's recovering well. Next, Hilary Noakes. Even if you don't like this silent character, she was traumatized by the snaps being thrown at her. That was an immature and potentially dangerous move by Mia. Third case, Ian. We heard his description of the chronic trauma he experienced growing up. While I don't think it reached the level that would lead to PTSD symptoms, it certainly led to deep feelings of shame, and when he was young, projection of that shame onto others who are gay. Textbook case of internalized homophobia. I hope Ian's recognition leads to a closer, more loving relationship with Adam. Fourth case, adil The trauma of the death of his fiance has led to PTSD symptoms that he was hiding from all, including us, with the exception of his big sister. We've seen emotional numbing and avoidance leading to his flight from stressors, both present and past. He's back, but I hope his sister insists that he talk with the therapist. Fifth, but once again not last, Helen. I know almost all Dumpty Dummers dislike slash hate her. She was even working my last nerve at the bowling alley. But please, please remember she is suffering from PTSD. We're frustrated that she's not in twice-weekly therapy with a trauma specialist. And yes, Helen, this is all about the return of Rob and the reignition of the trauma. As Ardell fled Ambridge, you are fleeing a good man who loves you and your children. Talk to you soon.
4: As always, our resident therapist puts it very succinctly. Yes, those five cases. The horses, yeah, we've already talked about uh, with Jen's brilliant call. I don't know much about horses apart from they're big and can step on you. Hilary Noakes yeah a silent character who's always a bit of an irritant because we tend to only hear negative things about her but I had some sympathy with her reaction today I felt that Mia was very self-centered by throwing those snaps it was an unnecessary thing to do and surely was traumatizing any cats birds dogs whatever can you imagine poor Lillian's poor little dog being walking across the green when those snaps were being thrown. Poor, poor Ruby. She would have been in a right state. Ian, yeah, internalized homophobia. Brilliant expression. Don't know much about it, but I can see where that's coming from. PTSD for Helen and Ardil, yeah, great. Yeah, we know that they're suffering from PTSD. And I hope that Ardil and Helen will get some help. They both need to talk it out. Talking therapy might be not. Might not be for some people, but I know people that is seriously, really, really helped from with trauma in their lives. So, yeah, and of course, with a spoon would say that, wouldn't he?
5: Yes, we haven't had any calls really that looked at the Mia and Alice campaign to get the bonfire changed or cancelled, and, and so on. I found it a bit implausible. Mia yeah. is an incredibly bright young woman, and she must have understood the economics of the Bonfire Night, the fact that it is one of the most important nights of the year for the book. We had the whole business of whether or not the bull would get involved in Bonfire Night at Grey Gables because otherwise they would lose a lot of business and they were going to set up the tent there. So to campaign this close to the event for changes to it or for its cancellation, yes, she was traumatized a bit by the incident with Sadie, but she should have thought through... Alice has lived in the village all her life. Mia has been there for quite a few years now. And they know what the bonfire is like. And then suddenly we're going for this idea of not having it. And I think it's just a, it's a communal event. Villages have these key things through the year. And we know in Ambridge there's the Christmas lighting up. There's the flower and produce show. There's the village fete, And Bonfire Night is one of those. It's a regular event. And so I, I just thought that the campaign against it and also Mir's use of snaps, as Sui said in her review of The Week in Ambridge, they don't seem to be particularly environmentally friendly. And I can see the sort of semi-thought through logic that Mira is applying that if I frighten people with loud noises, that will remind them of what animals feel like.
4: Yeah. I, mean, um, I, I really felt that I was cross with Alice, really, because it was Alice that started the Let's Get Bonfire Night band, fireworks band campaign. And as you say, she's known that all her life. She will remember having sparklers on the green with Jennifer and Brian no, and I thought, thought she was rather irresponsible in encouraging Mia to have a starter campaign. How Mia went about it was also wrong. And as you say, I think she's more intelligent and more intellectually in touch with life in the village and, and environmental issues to do something as silly. But it was a an event outside the bull. And of course, everything was changed. And she's been asked to join the committee, which is absolutely ridiculous. We've already booked our firework display for the 14th of July. 2025 with the pyrotechnics people here. No way would it be changed with 10 days' notice, but Ambridge Fairyland. I
5: I think that their fireworks display tends to be buying a a box of commercial fireworks and (laughs) letting them off rather than a professional pyrotechnic display. But even so, they will have put their order in months ago, possibly a year in in advance, because these things can't be just whistled up out of nothing, and, Mm. and they do need to have them. All that said, the key to a village bonfire night celebration is actually the bonfire. And I think that, again, cancelling the whole event was just not even plausible. What they should have argued for was to focus on the bonfire and to not, perhaps, not have a fireworks display. And then the compromise of having a silent fireworks display would have worked. But all of this should have been after this year's event, saying, here are the problems from this year's event. We need to do something next year. And then, of course, the big problem wasn't the Bulls event. It was a private thing. Was it in Manorfield Close yeah, that they had well, that? somebody's
4: birthday.
5: But Manorfield Close is nothing but old people.
4: Hey, whose, whose birthday was it? Oh, um, Not teenagers. Those are all our calls. Thank you so much for calling in. We love them. I really love them. Do call in next week. Now, did we receive any emails or WhatsApp messages this week?
5: Yes, we received one. And it was from Purple Pumpkin, and it goes like this Hi, Stephen, Jacqueline, and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here, with an early emailer in about co parenting in Ambridge. I've been struck several times about how rarely any parents discuss with each other the boundaries they're setting for their children, and how they should handle issues that arise. The first time this really rankled was over the summer, when Pip told to David about her woman crush, but he wouldn't tell Ruth until she pestered him a lot. Don't all pairs of parents of many years standing have an agreement about whether, for example, they will keep secrets from each other at the children's request, or what they will say or do when the children misbehave in various ways? This week, it was Helen and Lee, and I have the controversial opinion that Lee is actually the one out of order here. If Henry did something as serious as obscene graffiti, and Helen thinks he needs to face the music... Why is Lee so soft and emollient with Henry? Shouldn't he instead discuss with Helen any disagreement about her approach, rather than just undermining her in front of Henry? I know we're being presented with their relationship disintegrating, but this particular fault line gets my goat. Given that we have a number of new step-parent relationships, from Jazza via Lee to Stella, wouldn't it be nice to hear some adult conversation about how co-parenting should work? Keep up the good work. Your loyal listener, Purple Pumpkin.
4: Now, I found that fascinating, Theo, because I always assumed that I have a daughter. Loic isn't her father, but we've been together since when she was very tiny. But we've never formally had a discussion about how she would be disciplined. It it evolved as time went on. And Loic, because I'm her mum and he's not her dad, always left me to do the main things until... She started to be about 10 or 11, and then he felt confident enough to start to talk to her about certain behaviours, but always in a very loving, caring environment, often with me sitting there as well, usually at the dinner table. And, and so it evolved over time. We never had a sit down to say, this is how we will bring up our child. So I'm not so sure that I completely agree with Theo over the idea, but... It is interesting that in Ambridge, there are. There seems to be a regular way of people, nobody ever discusses things in front of us.
5: Yes. I have no experience of the step-parent type relationships. So the only one of these examples that I, I can directly relate to is David and Ruth and Pip. And I think a key thing here is Theo talks about keeping secrets from each other at the children's request and so forth. But Pip is 30 now. She's an adult. So I think that treating her as a child and, and applying rules about, if there are rules about we've agreed to break confidences between ourselves because we need to be able to do that to bring our children up, that's got to be gone by the time yeah. that the child is a fully grown adult and having her own relationships. This isn't about unsuitable boyfriends and girlfriends of the sort that you might have with a teenage child. Yeah, This is an adult relationship, and Pip may not have been handling it brilliantly at that point, but I think that David should actually have respected her desire not to tell anything to Ruth at all, and not to have done the half-blabbing that he did do. I agree with Theo's bottom line that it would be nice to have hear some adult conversations about how co-parenting should work in the context of the various relationships. And we're seeing it working quite well with Jazza and Tracy. We think that it was working well, but apparently not with Helen Lee, or I think that's probably because Helen has changed the ground rules. Yeah. And then with Stella and Pip, it's still very early days. And we've seen Stella and Rosie interact and Rosie being very keen on Stella and Pip, but I can't see that going completely smoothly. And what if they decide they want to have a child that they can consider as theirs rather than just pips? So that yes. will be interesting.
4: It will be interesting. Developments in that relationship are going to be very interesting in the future. Shall we move on to our Facebook page? And we need to give a very warm welcome to the new members of our Facebook group who are
5: Wayne Mathias, Rob DeCorday Long, Bridget Ward, Caroline Noy, Sarah Elizabeth Keithley, Pippa Dawson.
4: Marina Kinsman, Amanda Hatton, Julia Chapman, Daniel O'Neill and Lydia Dunbavand.
5: So what has our Facebook group been talking about this week? Jacqueline is going to present her review.
4: So here it is, your social media roundup for this week. Apologies if it's more scrappy than you're used to. Now, Paul Newman noticed that the variations in pronunciation of Ardil, Adil, especially by his sister, were varied. Now, this led to a discussion about the wife-fiancé accident, which led to her death. Continuity in our brains is a weird thing. Fiona Caspers thought Adil had told Brian about it. Rosie Taylor thought he'd told Lillian. Joe Hardman thought he'd told Will. And shame on me, I thought he'd told Linda. Back at the beginning of the week, Al Williams noticed that there was a brief silence when Lee suggested he was owed an apology from Helen. This led to a protracted discussion of Helen's motivations. Angela Kelly said she's not taking responsibility for her actions and expects Lee to explain it to the boys. There was an amusing exchange between Barbara Hopkins and Gillian Corrigan where Barbara asks, Has she, Helen, ever apologised to anybody over anything? To which Gillian replied hmm, Why should she apologise when nothing is her fault? That's a five star thumbs up from, uh, from me to you two M- Mia was the subject of several discussions this week Chris Gibson found her a pain in the arse Liam <laughs> McCarthy says that Mia needs to learn the art of compromise Karen Bull is sure that she'll mature Or mellow even Al Williams found her petulant and very childish, whereas Lynn Rafferty thought it was quite realistic. A youngster telling us to do things we've been doing forever? The discussions are brilliant, often amusing and regularly thought-provoking. If you haven't already done so, join the Dumpty Dum Facebook page. I make sure you have a pot of tea and a plate of biscuits nearby because once you're on there, time flies. Thank you so much to everyone on the Dumbdy Facebook page. If you'd like to join them, please do. But don't forget to answer the very easy membership questions so that we know you are a real person. Also, we are looking for a regular social media roundup person for week four in every month. So if anyone fancies doing that, please contact me via Messenger. We like to have that recorded and sent to Stephen by Friday so it can be sound prepared for the recording on Saturday morning.
5: Did we have any reviews this week?
4: Yeah, we did. We received three five-star reviews. That's exciting. The first one's entitled Monday Must. Five stars. Listening to this podcast helps my Mondays enormously. I tune in from my desk and enjoy the musings, mutterings and ventings of other Archers fans. Very well, well done all. Presenters, producers and contributors. Thank you. That's from Mrs Moo too via too, Apple Podcasts and she's in Great Britain.
5: The next review has the title The Perfect Accompaniment and it's also a five-star review. I just wish I'd found this podcast sooner instead of trawling the internet looking for discussion and analysis of the archers. I also love the history segments, filling in the background for those who haven't been listening to the full 20,000 episodes. And that's from FOMO Friend ninety nine, who is from Great Britain.
4: And finally, we have a very short review with the title "You All Is Amazing," five stars and four kisses, from Avid Reader three two one seven in the United States.
5: So that proves that some of you have indeed <laughs> been listening to us, berating you for the last few weeks. Thank you so much, and do keep those reviews coming.
4: Now to Twitter, where you will find us at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include, include the Archer's hashtag using a capital T and A so the visually impaired who use screen readers can enjoy any Archer's based tweets. As well as at Dumpty Dum, I can be found at Jberto Sanguen.
5: And I can be found at Wenlock House. And in a new development, we have both also ventured onto Blue Sky, where I am wenlock.bsky.social.
4: And I am jberto.bsky.social. So, let's find out who won the Twitter medals this week. Tweet, tweet, tiger.
3: (laughs) Hello, Jacqueline, Stephen and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with Tweets and Skeets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to Bernadette, Jen and everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. This week we've seen quite the influx of the Archers' regular tweeters over on Blue Sky, where Dumpty Dum now has about 100 followers. Of course, that's still dwarfed by the over 9,000 on Twitter. Okay, X. But there used to be near, nearer 10,000 on Twitter and people are leaving it every day. And on Blue Sky, we did see the Archers become one of the trending hashtags this week. So if you're no longer on Twitter or you just want to join the nicer, kinder Blue Sky action, do ask one of the tweet along for an invitation code and come and keep an eye on the Archers lists. On both sites, there's a continuing trend of people asking about mysterious plot dead ends. I particularly liked Olwyn, at ambridgeolwyn.bsky.social, asking, while we're hearing Ian's backstory, whatever happened to the mysterious Irish half-sister that Adam had? The one who seemed so evasive in the pub about Adam and Ian visiting her in Ireland. And Sarah Mattox, at Sarah Mattox on Twitter, wondered whether Azra ever returned that cutlery to the shop. We archers are nothing if not detail-oriented. I've also been adjoining the attention to detail of those who spotted that Ardil told Brian he'd lost his wife, but in conversation with his sister, it appeared to be a fiancé. Is this a case of bad continuity, a secret marriage kept from his family, or did he really lose both a wife and a fiancé? We wait to hear. But for now, here are my medals for blue sky skeets and ex-posts, all of which we're going to continue to refer to as tweets and give them the medal of Tweet of the Week. In bronze position, it's Rich Cut, at CutsRich on Twitter. I can't wait for the quiet fireworks on the wireless. I've even ordered a new colour radio to replace my old black and white tranny to get the full immersive effect. The silver medal goes to Rainbow_Warrior at rainbowwarrior.bsky.social who is following up Eddie Grundy's way with aphorisms, to say, don't count your cooks before the broth has hatched. And the gold medal goes to Lady Danny Morinich, at Lady Danny one on Twitter, responding to Dave Blake at Wessex Wildlife, who said he's been away from the archers for the beginning of the month and asking what he needs to know. She says, Rob wants to be christened, but does he believe in Christ? Ardil's no hotelier, all of them has paid the price. George thought he was in there, but the buttons wanted pigs. Ian can't hold Adam's hand, and Lee must find new digs. Well, that sums it up very poetically, I think. That's it for this week. I hope to see you all on Twitter or Blue Sky next week.
4: Thank you for that, Theo, and congratulations to all who were mentioned in this week's roundup. I have to say I was particularly impressed by the poetic gold. And don't forget, we're on Instagram. We're at Damtee Dam.
5: Next week, Jacqueline will be away, so I will be presenting together with Theo. We'll be recording at the normal time of First Thing Saturday morning, so please get your calls in by midnight on Friday, UK time. And as we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thanks to all our wonderful contributors, and to the whole team who look after our social media and support Jacqueline and me in so many invaluable ways, and also to the whole Dumpty Dum community, you make doing this podcast worthwhile.
4: You really do. And we must say thank you to Kim Durham and Sonny Orman for their voices, and our podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman and Roy Phil Brown.
5: Thank you so much for listening and joining us today. We're now off to win back your trust, deliver your hotel, and recoup your investment. So it's (laughs) goodbye from me.
4: And it's au revoir from me.
3: Dum